The title of this podcast is Stop Going to Church. I hope the title of this podcast did not scare you away. You might be asking, are Nathan and Nina saying that I should not go to church? Are Nathan and Nina saying that I should not take my family to church? The location where you choose to be the church with other believers is an important choice that you need to wrestle with. Where you choose to follow out the commands that were given to the church and where you choose to live out covenantal community is not just about location. It's more than that, a lot more than that. We do have concerns if all someone is doing is just going to the church building. We firmly believe that word go is not the best verb to associate with the noun church. Instead, we want to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ to think about being church together and doing what churches are commanded to do together. If you are doing church and being the church in a traditional environment, say a traditional Sunday morning service, we encourage you to continue to do that. That's okay. But think about this. You can also be and do church in your home or perhaps someone else's home. There are people that do church under trees located out in the middle of nowhere in Africa. You could even do church located at a table in some business, maybe in New York City or even Tokyo, Japan. The walls or lack of walls that surround us do not define church for us. As followers of Christ, we are the church. And because of that, we have a higher calling. We need to stop just going to church. We need to embrace being the church and obeying the commands that were given to the church. Hey friends, I'm so glad you're with us today. Welcome to the Encourage Inspire podcast. My name is Nina. And I'm Nathan. In this episode, we're going to be talking about being the church and following the commands that God gave to his church. We're going to talk about moving away from casual community and moving toward covenant body life. Our passion is building faithful families. Thank you for walking alongside us as we share stories and talk about the lessons we are learning. It's exciting to share what God has done and is doing in our life. Hey friends, this is episode seven, but it's really a build Upon episode six, in episode six, we talked about craving community. In this episode, we're taking craving community and moving towards covenantal community. So we recommend you listen to episode six first before listening to this episode. We think that this episode that we're talking about today is a really important conversation that every family needs to have, husbands and wives need to have. So Nathan, how do you feel about what we're talking about today? I have I have mixed emotions. I'm super excited about the topic of being church and following the commands that Jesus gave to the church. But at the same time, I'm a bit anxious about talking about it. When I look at scripture, I know there's clear things that we're told to do and, and told to be. And I look around and sometimes I see brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't being those things or, or following those commands. And so we want to find that right balance of leaning into the topic. It's an important topic. At the same time, we want to encourage the body of Christ. We don't want to discourage anybody. We really want to bring unity, not division. When all is said and done, we want scripture to define and direct who we are and what we do as the body of Christ. And so with all of that, I think we need to speak very clearly and, and communicate very biblically what what we're thinking and what we're, we're working through today. And I think also we have an obligation to obey scripture. So we need to let our hearts be softened by scripture and obey what these commands are. 
hundred percent. And so that's just not for the people listening to this podcast. That's for you and me as well today. Yeah. Nina, what does church mean to you? And why do you feel that church is so important for our family? Being the church gets me really excited, especially the way we do it on Sunday evenings with our core group. I like being able to dive into God's Word and listen to how other people respond to that as well, because that helps me grow in my relationship with the Lord. They may have seen something in Scripture that I didn't see that day, and so it encourages me and equips me better. We do it with our family, and you asked Why is this important for our family? Because we want our kids to know how to be the church together. Five out of the six kids have professed Jesus as their Savior, and we need them to know how to be the church. Part of knowing is us modeling that, but it's also them participating in it with us. It's the body of Christ, not a building, not a place. And so doing church together as a family, being the church together as a family is really important for both of us. Everybody that participates has different giftings, and Mm. so we're able to come together and use all of our different giftings to be the church together. And we're already starting to talk about some of the things that are important for us related to church. You've, You've said be, we've said do. So I think this brings up a really important question. What do we mean by just going to church? Just going to church does not mean that we're actually being the church with other people. When, when you think about just going to church, what, what do you think about? Honestly, I, I just think about people coming in and sitting down on a pew. You may say hi to someone. You might have a brief conversation with someone, but there's not a whole lot of in-depth... Connection. Yeah, but like relationship building. Um, it's not as intimate, So I've been struggling with this probably for months and maybe even years now. Just because we are physically in proximity with other people doesn't necessarily guarantee that we are doing church life with that person. So we're going to read a list of of things that physical proximity does not guarantee. So the first one is physical proximity does not guarantee emotional connection. Just because I'm standing next to you doesn't mean that I connect with you at an emotional level. Another thing I think about is just because I'm physically close to you doesn't mean that I'm even spiritually intimate with you. And and for me, the body of Christ has that emotional connection and also that spiritual intimacy. Are there any other things you think about that physical proximity, just being there together, doesn't guarantee for us? There's not necessarily a transparency or confession of sin by just standing next to someone. Mm. We, we, we don't want to do that with a stranger, right? Like, right. I, I've just met you. I just shook your hand. I don't know you. So it's, it feels really awkward well, to open up about my struggles in my life, right? Well, and that's being vulnerable to someone. And that requires having a deep, committed friendship with them. Mm. Um, and so there's this a relationship that has been built. You know that that person is there for you no matter what you're going through. And just because we show up on Sunday morning doesn't mean we have those things. Right. So we we don't have authentic friendship. We don't have meaningful relationship. It's not guaranteed by just being physically close. Another thing is, is genuine fellowship. Just because we're in physical proximity doesn't mean we are guaranteed that, that fellowship of, of the believer. 
And we mentioned already a little bit, but this accountability that mm. that you have with diving deep with someone and having that meaningful relationship, then there can be an accountability on like, how are you doing with your walk with the Lord? How or, are you really doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, I'm fine today. Right. It's it's really opening up to someone and say, I'm just, I'm really struggling today, or this is what God's teaching me right now. And the ability to have those tough conversations, just showing up doesn't guarantee that that opportunity. It doesn't even guarantee community. And we talked about community in the last episode, craving community. Just being physically close to each other does not guarantee community. And if it doesn't even guarantee community, it can't even come close to giving us covenantal body life. I want to be around other people and I want to be connected to other people, but there's, there's a big difference between community and new life in the body, covenantal body life. And just being close together doesn't, doesn't guarantee that. So, so for me, the, the verb going, going to church, it addresses the physical proximity. It addresses us being close to each other physically. But being the church and following the commands given to the church, that's when we start to have those emotional and spiritual aspects of body life come into play. When we start to open up our hearts and we are confessing sin and we are allowing people to hold us accountable, we can't just be physically close. We need that emotional and spiritual aspect as well. As we talk about stop going to church, we're going to say what we really need to be doing, and that's being the church and doing the commands that the church was given. Acts 2 is one of my favorite scriptures because it gives us insight into what was happening before and after the early church, the first church we see in scripture was formed and developed. And it's really exciting to see how God blessed the people that were gathering together to do body life with each other. We want to get some context of of how it got to that point and then also look at what they did together and see how that applies to our lives personally and as we do body life with other people. So there are two important things that led to the growth of the early church when we look at Acts. The first one that uh, we see is in Acts 2-4, and it's the coming of the Holy Spirit on all believers. So let's read through that verse real quick. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What I see is the Holy Spirit, praise God, we have the Holy Spirit, right? Yes. And so something happened uniquely in history that really hadn't taken place before. At this point in time is when believers, all believers, now had the Holy Spirit, where in past history before this time, believers and only certain believers were blessed with the Holy Spirit. So I think that's a, an interesting work of the Lord. And then in Acts 2.14, we now see bold proclamation. Let's read that verse as well. And Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. He talks about his death, burial, how he was raised from the dead. Now, Peter knows his audience, and so he goes back to the Old Testament, and he starts talking about how King David, their beloved king, their beloved prophet, how even King David was waiting for the promised Messiah and Lord. And then in verse 36, Peter comes back with more about the gospel message. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's bold proclamation gave the lost world an opportunity to respond, and they responded with hearts that were repenting. They had belief. I think what's implied is they were given a command to obey. And when we look at verse 41, we see how they responded to his words. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. On that day, it's very clear that people did not just believe. So they repented and believed. And as we're going to see in the, the verses that are coming next, they started gathering together. They were doing deep, intentional, and meaningful body life. It's as if they're starting this covenant relationship with each other to be the body of Christ together. And that's like super exciting. That's what excites me about this conversation that we're having today. So for there to be the church, there had to be bold proclamation of the gospel, the great news, the good news of Jesus Christ. Then we see people respond. They repented. They believed. They were baptized, and they started forming these groups. And as we examine closely the formation and the actions that are taking place in this early church, we need to think about this through a lens of descriptive and prescriptive. Descriptive means that we're going to take a look at things that have already happened. It's kind of like historical past. And when we read about the church in Acts 2, we need to understand that this is real life, true historical events, right? Mm. Nina and I, you and I both believe that this really took place. Yes, definitely. But then from a prescriptive perspective, it means that we need to be looking at what happens or what should happen in the future. So as we read through more of Acts 2, we need to be asking the question, do we see any direct commands that we have been commanded to follow? Or do we see any examples that we should be following from these early believers in Acts 2? So one more thing that we need to be thinking about as we continue to look at this early church, we need to acknowledge that Acts 2 doesn't necessarily give us the complete understanding of what a church should be and what a church should do. We personally believe that Acts 2 gives us a great starting point, but there are other verses in scripture, there are other passages that are written to the church specifically. So we're going to use this as a starting point, but but then at the same time acknowledge there are other verses that, that can direct this conversation. Some of the things that we saw in verse 42 that were happening was a devotion to the apostles' teachings. There was fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. So Nina, let's break down those actions that we see the early church doing. At this point in time, the apostles were heavily involved in the teaching aspect of the early church. So like I asked the question, if if the apostles, if they were devoted to the apostles' teachings, like what does that mean for you and me today? What does that mean um, for us as the body of Christ? Can we not study God's word without an apostle being present? Or does it mean that we shouldn't study God's word if there's not an ordained pastor present? Like, what does that, that really mean for us? You know, we need to wrestle with how we study God's word and how we hide God's word in our hearts as we study God's word together with, with other believers. I think of the traditional Sunday morning service model. For me personally, it's a it's a one-to-many. So 
you have a senior pastor or teaching pastor and one person delivers a message to many. But then I'm also trying to compare that and think through what does many to many Bible study look like? What does interactive Bible study look like? So I really appreciate hearing God's word from a senior pastor. But when we do many to many, when we have a group of people that gather together to talk about God's word and share what God's teaching them, I equally appreciate hearing my daughters talk about what God is teaching them as we study God's word together. So it, it's not something that's just reserved for one person. I believe that when we look at God's word through the Holy Spirit, because we all have the Holy Spirit if we believe in Jesus, he instructs us and teaches us and lets us pass that on to other people. Another thing I think of with the one-to-many versus the many-to-many approach is when you have the one-to-many, there's not really an opportunity for you to ask questions or get feedback to maybe something you still are are struggling with or you're like, I'm pondering this and I don't quite get it. But with a many-to-many time frame, you can wrestle through some of those questions you might have and, and someone else might have great insight into your question. As I've grown older, I I enjoy the wrestling more, Um, (laughs) where in the past, I think I would have enjoyed the resolution more, but being able to wrestle through it with the body is a really intriguing and fulfilling experience. Mm. Nathan, in episode six, we talked about craving community and our desire to want to be a part of and build really strong community. What is the difference between community and fellowship, though? When I think of community from a worldly perspective, and probably it's better to define it from a a Western worldly perspective, I think of individuals first. And Mm -hmm. so this kind of goes back to where we were talking about physical proximity. A lot of times we talk about a whole bunch of individuals showing up at the same place with the same interest. They voluntarily come, they voluntarily show up, but we start with the mindset of an individual joining a community. But in contrast to that, if we look at the biblical perspective, we see that God is the center of community, not people and especially not individuals. Mm. So God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, they provide us the perfect example of true community, of true fellowship. And so as believers, true fellowship can exist with God and with other people. True Christian fellowship is not the result of individuals choosing to be together, but rather the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives, so that now we can live out that covenant body life together. Our fellowship with each other is the result of our fellowship with God. It's always the works of God that Mm. start the things that we can do and and who we can be as the body of Christ together. Nina, we're we're still (laughs) in verse 42, and a lot's already happened, and there's still more things we need to talk about. So the the next phrase, the next uh, idea that we want to talk about is the idea of breaking bread. And it appears once in in verse 42 that we're we're looking at now, but also we're going to see the same phrase mentioned in 46 as well. And I believe personally that that these phrases are representing two different ideas. There's argument about that. There's discussion about that. Let's talk about the, the two different ideas and where we feel like verse 42 is really landing on. So in verse 42, when they talk about breaking bread, I feel like it means to participate in the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are two ordinances that were given to the church. We've used this word a lot, a covenant community, and the Lord's Supper is a covenantal meal. 
the Passover meal was used to remember the promises that God gave to the people of Israel. He would pass over every home where a sacrifice was made and blood was painted on the doorpost. During one of these very meals, Jesus directed his disciples to focus on two elements of the Passover, the bread and the cup. Symbols that were associated with a covenant of the past took on a new meaning and reminded the church of a new covenant. The early church understood the importance of this new covenant. So as God is directing these people to gather together and be in covenant relationship, he's giving them reminders and reminders and things to hold on to that say, this is a new covenant, be in covenant with me and and be in covenant with each other. There's one more idea that uh, verse 42 brings out, and it's this idea of prayer. When I look at our lives, I I see your discipline of prayer stronger than mine, and it's something that's encouraging to me. I want to grow in my prayer and my communication and and finding out who the Lord is by by speaking with Him. I believe prayer, it's not a blank check. It's just not a a magic button. It's not a Christmas wish list. Hmm. But but God wants to show up and, and answer prayers that match with His will and His desires. In John 14, 12, it says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We've been talking about what does in my name mean? Does that have a special meaning for you? Like, what do you think of when you think about something happening in Christ's name? I think that when we pray in Jesus's name, we are asking him to do whatever it is that is God's will in our life or for our life, I guess. It's not just, it's not a, like you mentioned, it's not a magic thing that happens. It's aligning our hearts with what God wants and what his will is. And it's it's for his kingdom purposes. It's for his glory. So we want our hearts to line up with what he's wanting for our life, not just give me whatever I want. It seems like the better we get to know him and know what he's about, the more likely we're going to be able to ask things in his name that are going to align with his will. Do you, do you see that as being true? Yeah, I think so. So I guess with prayer, it's it's not just about communication with ulterior motives. It's mm-hmm. about really getting to know who God is, who Jesus is in our lives. You know, when I think about prayer, though, there's this opportunity for corporate prayer. We can pray with other believers. When I think about praying in accordance with God's will, I think about praying for the lost. Mm. I think about praying that his kingdom and his church would grow. We can look at scripture and we can see the things that God wants to have us pray for probably do us all well to to pray more over the scripture so that we already know what what he wants to give and then kind of to contrast corporate prayer we have individual prayer did you grow up uh, praying before meals a little bit like that was something that was really big we wanted god to bless the meal but then like am i really like praying to know God or am I praying for my own blessing? I think that's something we need to be mindful of. Getting to know the God of the universe, that's an incredible opportunity. Praying before a meal, though, can be a thankful prayer. Mm. It's, you know, thanking God for his provision in our life and that we have food on our table to feed our kids and for us to, to be nourished. And I think there can be roller coasters of your life, too, where you're doing it because you know you need to, but you don't always necessarily feel like that's what you want to be doing right then. If we look at the Psalms and the way David poured out his heart before the Lord, he already knows, so we might as well just bring it to him. With meals and prayer time at services, that's kind of like a planned prayer 
times that we would expect prayer to take place, but more like what you talked about with David, that was just spontaneous prayer. He'd be in a moment and he would just talk to God about what he was really feeling and what he was really contemplating and hurting about. When we showed up in the city we currently live in, you said something that was most meaningful to you was probably the second or third time we were visiting the Sunday school class. We knew that there was a lesson to be learned that was going to be taught, but they just stopped everything they had planned, and we spent the whole time in prayer. Hmm. Why was that so meaningful to you? I felt like there were needs of the group going on in that moment, and they realized that that they just needed to intercede for what was happening, and they allowed the Holy Spirit to change their plans, let something happen that needed to take place over the thing that they anticipated happening. Nina, we just got done with verse 42, (laughs) so let's move on to verse 43. Would you mind reading that for us? And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I'm struggling with this one, just to be honest. Um, We live in a Western world that thinks that medicine and science and things we can explain is the only reality, but I believe that Scripture's true, and it speaks to our lives, and so... Like how, how do we reconcile these miracles and these wonders and the awe that was taking place? I think we need to be praying for miracles. I think we need to be willing to be vessels by which God will perform a miracle. There's been a few times I've prayed that there'd be healing and it just didn't take place. And so I, I struggle with this one. How do we how do we live this one out? Hmm. When we think about the different miracles that took place throughout scripture, I see almost two different reasons why perhaps why those miracles took place. In some situations, it seems like God was performing a miracle within the body for the edification and the strengthening of the body. But then at the same time, I think there's also miracles and signs that took place so that the outside world could look in on God's people and on what God's people were doing so that there could be belief. I'm not really sure how that's playing out in verse 43 specific. It does cause me to to wonder and ponder about how do we engage the community, not the covenantal community, but the, the neighborhoods around us, the, the city around us, how do we engage them in such a way where they look in at what we're doing as the body of Christ and be in awe? Are we stepping up to be light that shines brightly? Are we stepping up to be the hands and feet of Jesus that ministers to the people around us? Maybe the miracles and the signs are for the outside world to see and be in awe of what God's doing in our lives, but it's very clear in verse 44 and 45 that there's certain ways that the body of Christ is supposed to act together and how we're supposed to take care of each other. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Nina, do you find in your experience and and for our family personally, have we always felt comfortable enough to be vulnerable to let the body of Christ know what our biggest needs were? I think that's really challenging. I don't think I've always done well with that, but I want and crave, like we've talked about in episode six, I crave a community where we can be vulnerable and, and say, this is where we're really struggling or, you know, this is our need right now. But it, it really is hard to do that. But at the same time, I know there's been ta- a lot of times in our life where people knew we were going through certain struggles and they just felt led to give in various ways And that blessed us tremendously. They wanted to bless in that way. And so I think we need to let the body of Christ bless others, and we need to accept a blessing from others in times of need. 
we've said in the past, I don't know if we said it on this podcast, but don't deprive a brother or sister in Christ the opportunity of blessing someone else. And we really had to wrestle with that overseas because there were people in our lives that would give to us generously when they didn't have as much as we had. And it was really a struggle from a, an ego perspective, probably from a, a pride perspective, like, no, 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 I should be blessing that person. But God had directed them to do something. And, and I think we need to allow the body to bless the body. It's hard to be vulnerable when we're not really in deep community, when we haven't experienced true fellowship. But the other side is, are we being spirit-led to see the needs and meet the needs of other people in the church? So are they vulnerable enough to open up? Are we obedient enough to give? Mm. Um, that That's the other challenge. That's the other side of the coin with this one. Mm. So it makes me wonder, how does our our Western culture, since we live in the United States, how does that prevent us from following examples set by the early church? If you're not meeting with a community, with the body of Christ in a really deep and meaningful way, if you're just going to the church building and showing up like we talked about earlier, people are not going to know possibly that you have certain needs. But when you're doing life with other people and you're diving in and you have that accountability and you are open to sharing, this is a struggle right now for us, you know, please pray for us about this. And then let people into your life in those deep and meaningful relationships. I think that is going to give people the opportunity to know what's actually happening. And there's not a facade you know, put on your smile to go to the church building and everything's okay. You know, no, it's it's okay to be real with what's happening in our life with other people. Nina, when we were doing house church overseas, figuring out how to meet the physical needs of people in our local body was one of the most challenging things to work through. We are used to singing praises. We were used to praying, being in God's word. But then when the responsibility of meeting needs and using money in an appropriate way were actually on us and not relegated to a leadership team. That was one of those challenging times. How do we obey these specific commands? And as we've come back to the States, we're trying to work through these verses again. We gather an offering so that when there's a need or if there's an opportunity to serve inside the body or outside the body, we are, we are ready to take steps of obedience. So we're flying along now. We're at verse 46. Man, we're <laughs> speeding now. Would you mind reading 46 for us? And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Nina, earlier we talked about descriptive versus prescriptive perspectives. Are we seeing what took place historically? Or are we seeing something that we should continue to follow in the future. When I look at these verses, it's clear to me that those early Jewish Christians continue to follow the customs and the traditions related to Judaism. But like, what does that mean for us? Like, what does that mean for our family? Are we commanded to go to the temple daily? How do we live that out? I think what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16 gives us greater insight. Would, would you mind reading that for us? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The temple, the place where God dwelt, it was a physical location for thousands and thousands of years. And that was the only place he dwelled. Things have changed. We are the temple. God's spirit does dwell in us. 
But what's really interesting to me is from that descriptive point of view, we see that those new believers participated in large corporate worship of God, but at the same time, they also celebrated and did life together in those smaller, more intimate in their home kind of worship. Well, and he also says that where two or three are gathered, there he is. He doesn't say two or three hundred, right? Right. (laughs) If we look at these examples, big worship, smaller worship, those early believers were doing both. The verses that we've been talking about were almost to an end now. We're coming to verse 47, and it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see that in this verse that they praise God, I'm guessing with possibly their mouths, maybe even in dance. I don't know. We don't we don't see that. <laughs> Man, we need to study up on Jewish praise, first right. century praise. Uh, but they also had favor with other people. Man, that stands out to me. They were so Oh, man, they were so different. They were hated, but so different that people looked at them and said, wow, like what's going on there? Well, just kind of like with the signs and miracles, people were in awe. They're in awe, but also saying, wow, these people are doing something really amazing. And then they, they saw God at work and they saw lives being changed because they were boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. They were seeing more and more people turn their lives over to, to God. They were sharing the good news, and they were gathering together, and they were being the church, and they were doing the things that God had commanded them to do as the church. But it was happening day by day. You know, it's not just a Sunday thing that they were doing. It was an everyday thing that they were doing. Do you remember the um, Sunday that that I got to speak at, at one of our Sunday school classes, and we get to the end, and, and a friend of ours said something like, I really cannot imagine coming to church every single day. The thought of that just wears me out. Mm. And you know what? When I think of it from a going or coming, when I think about church as a place, that exhausts me too. But there was something different happening with these people. Mm. Again, it was not going to church. It was not location-based. It wasn't even program or agenda-based. It was being the church, doing what God had commanded them to do. And when we flip our idea of what church means from going to being and doing, I think we have a totally new perspective on what God really wants for us. And there was excitement happening with what was happening. You know, they were praising God. They were all really excited about what what was happening because God was doing a work in them and in those who were being saved. Hey friend, it's time for us to wrap up. This is going to be part one of a two-part topic. So please tune in for episode number eight, where we're going to finish the conversation, or at least for now, finish the conversation (laughs) of stop going to church. And really what we've been saying this whole time is stop just going to church. Start being the church. Start doing what God has commanded churches to do. We just greatly appreciate you listening, following us on this journey as we've lived this out in our lives and as we're doing it again back in the States. It's our heart's desire that your family will be changed by the work of Jesus Christ in your family, but also in your family as you be a part of body life, covenantal body life with other believers, not just husbands and wives, but entire families, multi-generational, diverse groups of people gathering together to be the church. And I think that when we use our gifts 
to bless others. That's part of being the church together. You're coming and and doing something that God has equipped you to do, and you're doing it with other believers, and it blesses other believers. And then sometimes those giftings stretch out to do you're doing evangelism. You're you're boldly proclaiming the good news, and that allows the outside world to have an opportunity to know this intimate body life of what it looks like to to walk with the Lord and and do life together. So we're signing off. This is Nathan and Nina, and our heart's desire is building faithful families. And today we talked about building faithful families as we are being the church and doing the commands that Christ has given the church together. Thanks for listening. Have a blessed day. We'll talk to you later.